Hey everybody, welcome to the Hard Part Podcast. Uh, today I've got my brother John on. We're going to talk NBA Finals. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, NBA 75. Um, they made a list. Obviously you know of their list of the players and top coaches of all time. But um, they also have a list of the top 75 events in league history. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, we'll make our predictions for the finals. So um, today's podcast, obviously brought to you by SeatGeek. We are um, partnered with them because they do such a great job letting you know um, if you're getting a good deal or not. Um, So if you're looking for finals tickets, um, tickets to um, Stanley Cup playoffs, or, you know, whatever, an F1 race, a Broadway show, whatever you're doing, Look on there. If it's green, you know you're getting a good deal. If it's red, you know that somebody's trying to hose you. So um, go ahead, and if you've never used it before, download the app. And if it's your first purchase, you can get 20 bucks off by using my promo code, all caps, the hard part, one word. So, all right, I hope you guys enjoy the podcast, and here we go. watched game one and two right uh yes yeah or the majority of them yeah okay and then full disclosure you're a you're a celtics fan yeah yeah (laughs) bastards all right so game one the warriors completely had it in the bag curry was shredding them he had he uh tied the record for most three-pointers in a quarter in the playoffs with six. <laughs> he was basically unstoppable. Let me see what he had in the first. I don't remember exactly. But 26? He had 20, 21 three rebounds and two assists in the first quarter. But the insane thing is that – so he was six for eight from the whole, from three-point line. But, um, but they, he was only a plus four in the yeah. first quarter. They were only, yeah, they were only up four at the end of the quarter. So obviously Boston hung with them there. They had like a little bit more of a balanced attack, but um, the game as a whole, like through three quarters, I'm sure, I'm sure after three quarters, people shut this game off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially with how it was like, there was no momentum shifts or anything like that. It was just. You're basically watching like a regular season game. Yeah. They can't like the, so the Warriors came out and they do what they always do where they shred people in the third quarter and like completely demoralize them. So then at that point, teams are just like, all right, well, I guess it's not our night. Like they outscored them 38 to 24 in the third. And then if you watch the games, you know that the Celtics came out and (laughs) outscored them 40 to 16 in the fourth. And like the, Warriors literally could not do anything. And I think I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they only played eight players really like through the whole game. They played eight guys and then like there's only like they emptied the bench with less than a minute left and then right. got five bench guys in. They only played eight guys and one of those eight was Iguodala who like he's coming off an injury and right. Yeah. Coming off of like a bad injury hasn't been playing. So really seven guys. Cause they would only played 12 minutes. Yeah. Even, so like, I mean, they, they've done it obviously throughout the season, but if you think of like a championship caliber team and you think of the warriors and whatever, obviously, you know, you have their, their big three, their core. Um, obviously Wiggins has, is either great or is Andrew Wiggins and then Kevin Looney. Um, but I mean, Kavan. Sorry. <laughs> um, but then you look at the, like the remaining three, like you said, Jordan Poole played 25 minutes, but only had nine points. 
Uh, yeah, he's he's all or nothing. So yeah, Otto Porter Jr., who played twenty four minutes, had twelve points, and then like you said, Iggy had uh, seven points on in twelve minutes. Yeah, Porter has been playing really well in this series. He looks really good. Yeah. So obviously the the next game he got he got um, more play, but um, yeah, just and and Boston only played eight nine guys if you count Tice's six minutes but um it it was kind of yeah I I feel like they just had more juice and obviously like if you're if you're killing a team like that gives you energy too so like you're not like on a big run and you're like man I'm really tired I gotta get out of here you're like energized by it so like Tatum played 41 minutes but he only scored 12 points, but he did have 13 assists. So it was like the big Al Horford game, which was like more torture for Sixers fans. Yeah, yeah. 20, 26 points in 33 minutes. Even, I mean, kind of the same thing for the Celtics. Like, you know, Derek White ended up playing more minutes than Marcus Smart. Al, uh, Al Horford obviously played a decent amount of minutes. Robert Williams, uh, coming back from injury only played like 24 but then you had Peyton Pritchard who is surprisingly a great defender mm-hmm. but eight points six rebounds two assists in 16 minutes Grant yeah. Williams had no points in 16 minutes and then like you said Tice only had six minutes played yeah they they're basically really bringing in Grant Williams to like to fight Draymond at this point just yeah. to body him but yeah Derek White so Derek White played incredible defense on Curry. Uh, that first quarter where where Curry was shredding them was on Marcus Smart, and yeah. then Derek White came in and was just, I think because he's faster than Smart. Like obviously, I'm not gonna say that he's a better defender than Smart because that's stupid, but he's he's a better matchup for Curry, I think, at this point because he's so fast and he stays on his feet. But also, he makes Curry work on the other end because he has to keep up with him, whereas yep. Smart isn't, like, you know, a focal point in their offense. So Curry can just kind of chill on defense at that point. But um, yeah. Derek, Derek White's also a little bit taller um, than Marcus Smart. Um, he's a little bit thinner, so like you said, he can move a lot faster. But I think just... Uh, Marcus Smart being, you know, such a huge part of the offense um, when it comes to, like, facilitating for Brown and Tatum, um, where Derek White really doesn't have to as much. He can, you know... Yeah, he just comes off the bench. Yeah. So, I mean, he definitely seemed like he had a lot more energy to chase Curry around. Yeah. So, they... Obviously, they won this game. Boston went up 1-0. And then... Let's move... Even, I mean, the, the stats-wise, um, total rebounds are the same. Celtics came out on top for assists, but in terms of blocks and steals, I mean, it was basically the same. So if you look at just those stats, you know, points in the paint, turnovers, fouls, things like that, and then you're like, oh, yeah, they ended up losing by 12 points. It's it's kind of, kind of surprising because the Celtics had such a bad first half. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it was a great second half versus the Warriors having a great first half and a terrible second half. It's like everything evened out. So the fact just that a, just up, a terrible quarter, really, because they destroyed them yeah. in the third quarter. Yeah, the uh, the fourth quarter was like what four, like forty, 40 to sixteen. To, yeah, 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 it was that's bad. Crazy. Yeah, to I mean, for any team, I mean, yes, to score forty is impressive, but I think more impressive was that they held the Warriors to sixteen points in a quarter. Yeah. And, it's nuts. and a, a weird, uh, you know, Woj kind of stat to point out is Jason Tatum obviously had a double-double with 13 assists, uh, his career high in assists, but anytime Jason Tatum scores double digits, he scores 25-plus the next game. That's um, weird. Yeah, so obviously Celtics fans were happy for that. You know, they got a win and he scored uh, 12 points. So then... Yeah, if you can... If you can win without your your best player um, right. putting up points, then that's always a good thing. 
But then in game two, he did score quite a bit. But then Al, <laughs> Al, Al Horford came crashing back to earth. He had yeah. two points, two turnovers, two fouls in 28 minutes. So then that was the that was the uh, the Al Horford that Sixer fans are used to seeing. So that was not nice, but you know. Um, yeah, you can you can definitely tell that uh, the Celtics were looking for something to be able to play some defense because where it was obviously their starters in game one having such huge minutes. You know, like we talked about, both teams played like eight nine guys. Uh, game two, Derek White had. 30 minutes, Grant Williams had 21, Pritchard had 19, uh, Tice played 14, and then uh, Aaron Naismith even came in. Um, yeah, yeah, Naismith had like 11 minutes, yeah. but I think I think it, oh, they had a lot more minutes because the game was out of out of reach at well, yeah, a certain that. point, but um, <laughs> yeah, Derek White came back to earth. Pretty much everybody else did, like you know, next to nothing. Marcus Smart looked pretty bad. Yeah, too bad. Um, Robert Williams, not great. But they had, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they had that, uh, the tech, did you see the, this, the second play that should have been a technical on Draymond? And then they, yeah. then the, they basically, Graham. basically they said, well, not, not the league, but um, Steve Javi, you know, the guy they have that yeah. was the, refs whatever the head of the ref something or other and said you know oh yeah well we we know you have to know the situation as a good ref and it's like no dude it's either a tech or not like it doesn't matter whether he has a tech already like if he has one already then yeah sucks for him but like you can't you can't officiate based on like what a player that's like saying like oh well if you know, if Curry has five fouls, then we're not going to call the sixth foul. That's crazy. Right. Mm, it's, it's no? Like, like it's officiate the game. What are you doing? Effect. It's, they're, they're officiating based on a specific player. Like, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you want to know why, you know, LeBron goes to the line so many times in a night. It's like, because they're officiating based on a specific player, not not specifically on a rule that they're enforcing. Right, right. Um, uh, the Warriors did something that I thought they should have done in Game One. I didn't understand why Gary Payton the second didn't play. Yeah, and I... he is he is so good, and like it's to the point where either he well definitely Gary Payton because Jordan Poole can't play defense, but I feel like Gary Payton should start over Clay Thompson. Yeah, it's one of those weird situations where. Um... Like Ben Gordon kind of situations where it's like they need a sixth man boost, um, and they should really use Clay for that and just keep uh, keep Gary Payton in there or Poole or you know whoever um, to kind of even out their scoring because I mean the the Celtics should honestly do something similar because coming out of the half. Uh, e- Game one and two, they were just blown out in the third quarter. And I yeah. think that... That's kind of the Warriors' calling card, though. Yeah. They come out of halftime and just shred people. Yeah, you know, having Peyton and Otto Porter Jr. and people like that that are going up against, you know, Tice and similar things to that, it uh, it definitely seems like it helps. Yeah. And not not to say that Marcus Smart has to score for them to win, but like he has to score more than two points. Yeah, definitely. Like between Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford, they had six points together. Yeah, that that's crazy. Just overall, to think of like the NBA Finals, you're in the, you're obviously in the, uh, like deepest stretch of the playoffs possible. Um, yeah. So it's kind of crazy to think that you know you're still you're still in a point in the season where you're going to play twenty five thirty minutes and end up uh, end up with two points. It's like the yeah. and five turnovers. Yeah, I was going to say your defensive uh, you know capabilities and whatever aside, um, you know points win games. I mean, right. <laughs> 
And it's not like it's not like he was stepping up on the defensive end. Curry had thirty or twenty nine. Yeah. So yeah, it, it it's crazy to think that at this point in his career, too, um, you know, with Marcus Smart being Defensive Player of the Year, with his understanding of basketball in general, he can't see a time where it's like, hey, you know, I need to get more involved. I need to try to, you know push his way into the game a little bit more. Like you said, he wasn't, you know, it's not like he was locking Curry down so he was tired on offense. Like, Curry did fine. Yeah. And so, like, Jalen Brown didn't have a – I mean, he didn't have a good game. But, like, um, he, he like, straight up can't dribble the ball. Yeah. He has so many turnovers where it's like, dude, if you if you – can't do that don't do it but then he does it like three or four more times in the game where it i i noticed it in the heat series a lot because anytime they put victor oladipo on him he would strip him mm-hmm. and it wasn't like oladipo seemed like he was playing insane defense it just seemed like he would like just not know where to put the ball right it was like he was, you know, oh, he was going to cross him over or, like, he wasn't paying attention. He just would strip it from him, and it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, don't – and then they would have him – they would continue having him bring up the ball. Like, stop initiating the offense, yeah. like, through Jalen Brown if he can't dribble. And I've seen it a couple times in this series, too, where, you know, he'll he'll make, like, a dribble move, and someone who's, like, not known as a – you know, an incredible defender or like doesn't make an incredible defensive play, just strips it from him or he, excuse me, or he dribbles it off his foot or something. It's like, yeah. dude, what are you doing? It it almost looks like he's been in some crazy space jam situation where <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like, yeah, it, it's either great. And, you know, he has an incredible dunk or he like stubs his fingers into the ball and it goes out of bounds. And you're like, what just yeah. happened? Like, um, but it, you know, we've talked about it, you know, with Kobe and stuff a lot, obviously in the past, but so Peyton missed game one because he fractured his left elbow May 3rd. If I fractured my elbow, I would not be back playing basketball within one month. Yeah. It, you also don't have the best doctors in the world, yeah, but yeah, absolutely insane. And then, uh, Iguodala, you know, was out for a decent amount of time. Uh, April 24th, uh, something, he had a cervical disc injury, which I think would just kill me. And then, you know, Porter has been having left soren- uh, foot soreness. So it's like you basically got outplayed by a 40-year-old who came back after, you know, two and a half months off. And Peyton, who this was his first game back from a fractured elbow. So it's like, you're not in, you know, you're not in such a good form this far into the postseason, where a guy who came back from an injury and a guy who hasn't played in a month and a half, who's also 40 years old. uh, Yeah. You can't, you know, get it over on them. Well, speaking of that, like being this far into the season with like, you know, injuries and stuff like that, what do you think, do you think they should, change the number of games. I know people were talking about like shortening the season. I I honestly think that and I truly believe that it in no way matters. I think that You think if, people are just going to get injured either way? Yeah, I think that if you shorten the season by 10 games or 15 games, I feel like you'll have the same amount of injuries because the players and coaches and everyone will constantly think, "Well, hey, now that we have you know, 10 less games, 15 less games. Let's throw an extra practice in there. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, and then... So you'll, they'll end up playing the same amount of time, is what you're saying? Yeah, like, I think overall... You're not going to, like, hold people out of games because there's no reason so right. they'll end up playing the same. And know? I mean, with travel time and a lot of, like, logistical things, less games mean less travel time means most likely more practices and things like that. And, you know, a lot of the players are, you know, going to do whatever on their own anyway. So I feel like overall you would have to drastically, drastically change the season to see. Like to make any kind of difference. Yeah. Like for an actual impact, you would have to change it so drastically that it would be crazy. I think, 
I think the thing that they could do is um, not change the number of games, but like, so they eliminate preseason because like preseason doesn't matter. Like that doesn't make any sense because people, people, you like play yourself into shape during the season. You figure out stuff during the season because it's not like the NFL where it's like, if you lose three games and you're like, well, I guess that's it for us. Like you can, you can mess around for 20 games and still make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So if you eliminate the preseason, you start the season earlier, but still have the same amount of games, then you can space them a little better so that it's not necessarily back to backs that like kill people. It's that, you know, Oh, you have like five games in seven days or in eight days or something like that. And like, sure people people are gonna like they won't complain about that but if they are aware of a change they're like oh well that's their job they do this for a living it's like okay yeah but they still are like have human bodies right (laughs) there's only so much regardless of the alien stem cells or whatever they take right still gonna break down over the course of you know whatever right if you're playing that many games in that short of amount of a time i think that that's the bigger the bigger issue so i i think that if it's more spread out that way though where you're not doing that then you don't run into the issue where like okay so say you're a uh, you're an uh, an eastern conference team you won't your all the west teams only come to your city once so right. you know you live in orlando and you're like man i really love to see lebron play you buy a ticket and he's like i'm not playing because this is like the sixth game in 10 days. Yeah. Which for him, it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. First of all, the dude's almost 40. And like, yes, you're playing too many games. You have to protect your body and think of yourself. But then as the fan, you're like, well, fuck. Like, I paid for this ticket. And now, like, the whole reason I came is to see you and you're not going to play. Like, that sucks. Yeah. So I, I, under- I, I think that would help. Yeah. I mean, like a couple of points, you know, you mentioned the five games and seven nights, whatever, you know, if you, if we were having a conversation, I said, Hey, you know, it's, it's Friday and Monday I was in Memphis and Wednesday I was in LA. And then yesterday I was in Dallas. You'd be like, wow, you must be exhausted. And it's like, yeah. And also I didn't have to play, you know, 30 minutes a game. All right for those games like i understand it's obviously not the same travel and you know they're not yeah. stuck in but even if like, i have to imagine like if i flew private or whatever like if i flew from i think what's the what's the farthest one they i think it's like portland like portland to, to miami yeah you fly like portland to miami or something like that that's even if you flew like the nicest, you yeah, know, whatever. It's still draining on you. Right. Yeah. You're still going to get to Orlando and be like, you know, shit, I have to play. Like, I have to play, not just I have to play basketball the next day. I have to play against the greatest players on the earth tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's the worst team in the league, they're still the greatest players on the yeah. earth. Like, on top of that, you, you know, you got to figure if, if they have a game Monday and Wednesday, yeah, it's not a back-to-back, but there's, you know, air travel and then regular travel and then, you know, meetings and whatever and maybe a practice in there. It's like, you know, they're not just hanging out in the meantime. I do understand your point of, you know, hey, they come here. I bought this probably outrageously expensive ticket to try to see whoever and they're not playing. It's like, right, also, right. I think of it like, you know, if you offered me a job where you said, you know, hey, um, you'll work from, you know, October. When does the season start? August? August. Um, no, you're right. October? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed around Halloween. Um, you know, you'll work from October till May. June. Um, yeah. Hopefully till June, yeah. Yeah. You'll work October to June. We'll pay you, I don't know, the, the you know, league minimum. Yeah, it's like four, $470 something, I yeah. think. $200,000. Um, and then, you know, with injuries and whatever, like LeBron hasn't played more than like 50-something games in a year. So it's like, hey, you know, 
you have to play. <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> I think it. I want to say I read something that it was like either this year or last year, the couple last couple years combined, it averages like to fifty something games for LeBron. All right, hey, I'm gonna look that up. Um, I'm gonna ramble while you do that, but Go ahead. it. It's if somebody, you know, if I'm getting hired for a job, they say, hey, you got to work from, you know, October to June. You only have to work 82 days. I'd be like, this is the greatest job ever. You're going to pay me $400,000 to do this. And then, like, you know, let's say he played 70 games. Games. Can you imagine how mad your boss would be if you called in sick 10 times? In oh, well, for sure. When you only have to actually, you know, work for 82 games. I understand it's different, but like from the from the aspect of, you know, a ten year old kid whose parents spent you know thousands of dollars on a ticket to see LeBron play, and then he's not playing just so that he can rest, kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's like the, you know, there's good the the lowest the lowest amount I could get for games for him would be if you did the last four seasons he's played. Um, just under 56 games a, yeah, a year. So maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah, so you're not even playing 82 games. So, yes, it does, you know, kind of suck in this situation where you may have a back-to-back. You may have, you know, five games and seven nights, whatever. It's like, you know, you're playing in the NBA. You're not playing year-round. You're not, you know, it's not an absorbent amount. Of- well, they are playing year-round, though. Well, yeah, but like I, even if they're not playing an NBA game, they're still training, right? But I mean, yeah. But I see what they're, you're saying. They're training on their. It's not the same. Place, but it's you know, it's not like football, or I mean, sorry, baseball, where you have what is it, 182 games, 162, whatever, too many. But guys, but guys just get scheduled days off all the time for that too. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So they're scheduling days off because they have so many games. Yeah, yeah. But it's like so you have half as many games but i think that's like back to the lebron thing i think that's the mistake that people make though is where they say like well if i took you know whatever off at my job and it's like well it's not the same though like sure i'm paying you x amount of dollars to do this even if it is like a uh you know like with lebron he's making you know just like an outrageous amount of money but but if you calculate it the the amount of money like that the teams are making even if somebody's on a max contract they're still underpaid for the amount of money that they generate right especially if it's lebron i can see that but also you know you figure like fortune 500 ceos you know are probably making what the nba players make i think they're making no they're making more than that you think like the gm of GM is making $30 million a year. Absolutely. GM CEO salary. GM CEO Mary Barra earned $29 million in 2021. All right. So it's about the same, but, but listen to this. Uh, GM lists her base salary as 2.1 million. Which means yeah, that the rest of it is just like a bonus at the end of the year, where they're like, "Good job." Yeah, but also there's an extra twenty five million dollars. <laughs> but also, you know, GM's earnings or whatever are probably significantly more than the NBA. I would say. Um. Yeah, okay, Let whether it is or not, let's just assume that it is. Right. But, like, think about how many employees GM, like, like I think no, the no, difference, I, I think I'm the thing, like, in, a, in an aspect of how much they're paid versus how much they're specifically bringing in. Oh, yeah. So then, know. yeah, but I would say that, like, even the, this person at the top, Mary Barra, who is the CEO of GM, who made $29 million, like, the people that are actually making the money are making like between 15 and 20 dollars an hour whereas like well you i mean you can argue that down in in the nba too you probably you know the popcorn guy probably gets paid eight dollars an hour or something no but i'm saying nobody nobody 
tunes into a game or goes to the game specifically for the popcorn guy. Like uh, the popcorn guy didn't make. I, I definitely go to Suns games for that guy. Who with yelled. the with the exception of the the uh, also, lem- no lemonade guy, a, yeah. No one's buying a you know Ford because what was what's her name Mary Barra. Right, but that that's part of my point is there's no single employee at GM that I'm like, you know what, that Mary Barra does a good job. I'm gonna buy a yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't remember which way I was arguing. <laughs> You you were saying you bet that the that person made similar money to LeBron. Oh yeah, that's what I was saying. Sorry. So like, if you think about it percentage wise, you know, being LeBron, he's probably getting a larger percentage of the gross revenue of that team than if he if he was working a quote unquote normal job. You know what I mean? Like if. Him versus someone who makes the same salary as him in a non-sports-related position. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's definitely getting a larger chunk of the overall versus what they are, if that makes sense. Yeah. So well, I mean, let's see. Let's. It's hard to it's hard to tell because it's like a. It's like all made-up numbers. These are all magic. Once you get past like a hundred thousand dollars, it doesn't matter to me. Well, yeah, but I mean, but like, just saying, like, a hundred billion dollars. Like, what? That's monopoly money. You just printed extra so you could say that. Yeah. Well, it, it obviously, like, all right. So I looked up what the Lakers make in a year, and last year it said they made like three hundred and fifty million dollars. But that seems low because if they're paying LeBron thirty something million, Genie Bus makes sixty million. Luxury like, tax. What do you mean luxury tax? The team still has the team still is is paying. Right, no no, I understand that. But aren't they paying isn't Genie Bus basically paying out of pocket for so many Well no, because there's well even if there's a luxury tax, you still you still can't go over the the cap. Oh well. Like yeah. there's still a hard cap, but like but I'm just saying the the reported amount that the Lakers are making is there's no way that that's what they're actually making. Like that's probably yeah. what they're claiming they make or whatever. But anyway, specifically, but it's probably you know the stadium jerseys, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, we're like I don't even remember how we got on this, but so what do you no, what, what do you think? Like, what's your prediction for the series going forward? Um. I think Celtics lose game three. In Boston. Yeah. Um, everyone loses their goddamn minds. Anna Horford takes to Twitter. Um, yells at everyone. That's kind of normal, though. Well, yeah. Uh, and then I would say, yeah, I think it's going to go to seven. I don't know who's going to win. Uh, I think it'll probably go to seven. So I... I picked Warriors in six originally. The The Celtics have really only looked good or like really beat the Warriors in one quarter out of this series so far. Yeah. I if I if I had to change from Warriors in six, I would go Warriors in five. I think that the league won't let that happen, but like it's strange to think that they're going to go back to Boston and then just things will just suddenly be different. But, but also like we've seen how the rest of this playoffs have gone where like, it's been blowouts one way or then the other, then, you know, back and forth. And it's when I was first watching, it was like, okay, well maybe this is just like, I don't know if player actually, you know what? I know I'm just like thinking through this. That's why I'm not actually saying anything. So I heard a, a theory about this, why the playoffs have been so, like, the, why the games have been so lopsided and not, like, one way the whole series is because this, like, they've been playing the most basketball they've ever played, like, in NBA history because of the way last season went down. Oh, they basically, COVID and everything. 
Yeah, so like they started the season way late, and then the champion was named way late, and so they basically just went right into the next season. Yeah. So, so like, you know, players that like Jimmy Butler last last series, like every other game, he would have like almost a fifty point game, and then the next game he would score like less than ten. Yeah. So it's like how how are we having this kind of and the other thing I look for is like the league putting their nose in things where, you know, like if the Celtics are up 3-0, then they'll come out and Jason Tatum will have like three fouls in the first quarter. And you're like, right. okay, yeah. obviously something's going on here. But I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. So I kind of believe that like this like continued fatigue is, is definitely changing the, the playoffs. And I think that next season – the playoffs will be much better. Yeah. Because right, right now it's so hard to predict because of that. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, you have injuries, you have people going, you know, Tatum had 12 points and then 28 points. Al Horford had a great game and then a terrible game. I think that that kind of makes it hard, too, to call the series because even if everyone was on their best, then you still have injuries to worry about. You know, is... Is Iguodala going to play well? Is uh, Gary Payton the second going to play well? Is he going to have any injury issues? Um, who Otto Porter and his foot issues? You know, Time Lord. Steph um, has a tweaked ankle. Yeah, St- Steph always has tweaked ankles. They should just make he can play in two casts or something. Have you? He basically does. Have you? Did does. you see last game when he took his shoe off? Yeah, he's like almost to a Derrick Rose point. Oh God! Yeah. Um. All right, so you've got it's just so hard to tell. That's why I think it'll probably go seven games because you know the league is obviously twiddle their fingers and pretend they're not doing anything, but they really will. Um, And then I think it's kind of just a toss up. All right, if you had to pick, let's look at the. I'm gonna look at the uh, the odds right now, and you tell me who you think for uh, for MVP. So who do you who do you think will be? So you think it'll go seven? Pick, you have to pick a winner. Who are you going to pick in seven? Game seven will be in Golden State. I, I have to pick the Celtics. I can't not. <laughs> All right. So, but what if you, what if you had to put a thousand dollar bet on it? I would live on the street and not pay my rent. <laughs> I guess is the answer to that either way. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's you're loyal, loyal fan. So that's fair. Um, I don't know why I can't find. I don't want that. I want it for the whole thing. Okay, here we go. MVP. Um, actually, we'll do the the series spread. Is wow. If you pick Warriors um, minus one and a half uh, games, which means they would have to win in six, right. um, that would be plus two fifty, which is pretty Ooh. great odds. Yeah. Um, and then. So it's Curry at minus 115, then Tatum at plus 140, and then there's a huge jump to Brown at plus 750. And then everybody else past that is 6,500 or, or more. Jeez, yeah. I would, so who? I would, is, is this my guess or if I was to bet? Because if I was to bet, we both know that I would put it on a random like plus 6,500. Say that you're giving someone advice on – not what you would do with it. You're giving someone advice on on what they should do with their money. I mean, terrible, terrible choice to ask me either way. But I, I mean, at this point, after two games, you, I think you would have to give it to Curry. Yeah. I mean, with the first quarter of game one and then his overall play in game two, I, I mean... I think you have to at that point. Unless Tatum comes out and, you know, basically wins the series for them, I think it would be Curry. Okay. So, the, obviously, like, Curry and Tatum are the favorites. If you have to pick somebody outside of them on each team, who who do you think it would be? Um, I mean, the, I think the Warriors is a little bit easier because you just go with either Poole or Peyton. Um it, something drastic would have to happen, but I guess 
maybe Pritchard. Okay. I I put money on uh, Al Horford and Andrew Wiggins. Well, I feel like they're not that much of outliers. After after the game after game one, I put the money on Horford, but I I always liked Andrew Wiggins. I don't know why, but I mean I know why. He's he's a good defender. He plays yeah, like you're both kind of pretentious. <laughs> How are we pretentious? I don't know. Andrew and I are not pretentious. When we're sipping tea, eating our crumpets, we talk about how not pretentious we are. Exactly. That's the only thing we talk about. So how could we be pretentious if that's the only thing we talk about? So, all right. Well, game uh, three is tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, Wednesday. Also, I don't like that they... I was just complaining that the season wasn't spaced out enough, but the, the um, finals have been way too spaced out. I don't need two days rest in between every game. That's ridiculous. Well, the, the two days rest isn't for you. It's for the people playing. Yeah, but I don't need it, okay? I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I chat with them. I do like that the Stanley Cup lines up perfectly with it so that every <laughs> yeah, night there is a game on, but yeah. I don't think that the NBA did that on purpose. No, most likely not. Yeah, so. Okay, well, um, maybe we will get back together and talk. Um, oh, you know what? We didn't, we didn't talk about the all... Uh, the all-decade team. Let's do one all-decade team and then go. Okay. Uh, all right. Run, let's... Through, run through a couple, you know, ridiculous things that they have in here real quick. Okay. Um, 1946, there were 11 teams, 160 mm-hmm. white players. Um, Ozzy Schechman, um, who was one of the original players for the New York Knicks, made $60 a game. Wow. I would play for the Knicks for $60 a game, just to be yeah, fair. Yeah. He he scored the first basket in BAA history, and then the league wasn't changed to the NBA until three years later. Mm. Um, Actually, I did know that. An underhand layup, November 1st, 1946, for the Knicks against the Toronto Huskies, was the first two points of 17 point. Or sorry, thirteen point seven million points in league history. Wow, counting obviously. Um, the forties is a little bit weird because the scores are all like sixty to fifty. I'm surprised they're that high. Yeah. Um, Nineteen forty-eight. Obviously, there's kind of a gap. Um, Of, I guess. For Hitlery reasons? Yeah, well, I mean, yes, but no. I was going to say a gap in memorable things. Um, oh. It's like, you know, 1948, future Hall of Famer George Mikan scores his first points. Mm. And then it's like, you know, it would be years till he wins the title, things like that. Um, 1949, the BAA, which is the Basketball Association of America, agrees to merge with the NBA to form, or the NBL, sorry, National Basketball League, to form yeah. the National Basketball Association. Um, you know, just some history. Um, 1950, Bob Cousy makes his debut with the Celtics. They lost 107-84 to the Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne Pistons? Yep. Um, in October 31st, 1950, Earl Lloyd, Chuck Cooper, and Sweetwater Clifton break the color barrier as the NBA's first black players. Um, Earl Lloyd made his NBA debut first with the Washington Capitals. Did you hear I was about to start saying Washington? Yeah, I wasn't sure what was happening. I think I had a mini stroke. Um, It, it A lot of these are very strange to me because, like, Bob Cousy debuted for the Boston Celtics because he refused to report to play for the Tri-Cities. Yeah. Well, he got he got um, drafted by – they used to do territorial picks. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. And he was drafted by them. He refused to play for them, so he just ends up with the Celtics. Yeah. Um. Some of these are also just global things. So they talk about Rosa Parks. They talk about Korea, things like that. That's um, weird. Did they know that those events didn't happen in the, in the NBA? 
I mean, they may not. Yeah. Um, 1956, December 22nd, Bill Russell um, makes his NBA debut, scores six points, grabs 16 rebounds over the St. Louis Hawks. Who's the Who's the worst player that they note as has their first game? That's uh, what I want to know. I want to know how low they go because are they like you know, Manu Ginobili plays plays his first game? Who's the? Uh, there's got to be somebody on that list that you're like, well, well I don't know if that's an we'll, we'll NBA event. Anyone by the time we get to the. Uh... All-decade team. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to listen to all of them. Oh, when you say the all-decade team. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, let's start. Let's start with a like a fun all-decade team then. All right. Let's do like. Tell me the nineties. Um. One one thing I did want to go over. April twelfth, nineteen fifty-eight. Bob Pettit ties the NBA scoring record with fifty points. <laughs> Jesus. Well, that's uh, a whole team's points. So. Yeah. The other one um, is actually pretty cool. Starting in the 50s, they have this AP was here. The Associated Press existed, you know, in the 50s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, so AP was there. So they have the Associated Press first black uh, player's contract bought by an NBA team. So the Knickerbockers made an expensive move. And this is the actual article from 19... Uh, I have no idea. It doesn't even say. Somewhere in the 50s. Um Expensive mood towards strengthening their club yesterday after purchasing the contract of Nate Sweetwater Clifton, star center and leading scorer of the Harlem Globetrotters. Nice. Um, the purchase price, this is also a very racist sounding sentence. The purchase price for the 6'7", 225 pound Clifton was not disclosed, but he reportedly received a $10,000 a year salary from the Globetrotters. And it was enough to make him lead that team. Um, Ned Irish, the boss of the Knickerbockers, was hot after him last year. The Knicks' uh, chief weakness was at center. Um, he was 26 years old from Chicago. He was tied up in baseball by the Cleveland Indians, where he placed first base for the Wilkes-Barre um, Indians, the Cleveland's Eastern Farm League. He led the Globetrotters in scoring during their recent national tour Netting 272 points in 18 games. <laughs> wow. Oh, so wow. pretty, pretty crazy there. Um, if you had to guess, they list five players. If you had to guess who's on the 50s team. On the 50s team? Yeah. Um, I would say... I'll give you a hint, they're white. <laughs> George Mikan. Yep. Bob Pettit. Paul Arizon or Arizon. I can't remember how to say his name. Uh, Arizon, yep. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think what positions I've got in here. Um, so, so Mike and Pettit, Arizon. Um, so Bill Sharman? No. One of them led the league in assists for eight seasons during the 60s and played in 13 straight. Oh, Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy. Uh, the other one averaged 24.9 points in the 57-58 season. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1973, and he was an all-star every season between 51 and 62. Damn. He was also an NBA champion for the Syracuse Nationals. In oh, uh, the Nationals. It's uh, Dolph Shays. Yep, that is correct. Yeah. Um, also, I really enjoy that they include people's nicknames. So, obviously, Houdini of the Hardwood. I had no yeah. idea anyone called uh, Paul Arizon Pitchin' Paul. Pitchin' Paul. That's classic, like, newspaper guy in the 50s. Yes. Yeah. Um, they also do a very cool thing in here. I mean, obviously, $15 is a ridiculous amount of money for a magazine. Um, but they do a cool thing on profi- coach profiles. Um, former Knicks coach Joe Lapchick um, was the first coach to ever sign a black player in 1950. Um, he uh, His son obviously felt some backlash in the 50s from his dad hiring a black player. Um, 
his son went on to become the director of the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports at the University of Central Florida, and he is still there today. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Joe Lapchick um, spent 50 years in the sport as a coach and a player, and then there's a you know basically a full article about him, and they do that for uh, each decade, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. You'd be happy to know that I turned to the... 60s and 70s, which they consider the second quarter. And the first picture is uh, Daryl Dawkins and uh, Mo Lucas boxing. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the uh, finals in 1977. So we'll save that. But <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, obviously, I don't have any like strong opinions about the players in the 50s in their uh, um, on their all 50s team. Yeah. Um. So yeah, well, give me uh, give me the give me the two thousands or let me guess the two thousands team. Two thousands all decade team. Yeah. Okay, let me uh, flip real quick. Um, nope, that's the nineties. All right. Well, before you get there, I'll start guessing. I'm gonna say that it's Shaq, Duncan. LeBron, Kobe, and who is the best point guard in the 2000s? It's got to be Nash. Okay. Um, it is not Nash. Everyone else is correct. Ooh. Is it, is it an actual point guard, or is it somebody like, is it Iverson? It is Iverson. <laughs> it is Iverson. Okay. <laughs> That's the I was going to say Iverson, but... I was like, I don't know. They always they always listen to shooting guard, but sometimes for things they squeeze them into point guard. Yeah, so yeah, six foot. I would say and like guard. It was so like he won. Guard. He won a lot of of scoring titles, and then he br- obviously brought the O one team to the finals. But like Nash won back to back MVPs that decade. That seems strange that they would choose Iverson over him. Yeah. Um... Maybe the Associated Press agrees that he didn't deserve those. <laughs> They're the ones that gave him the goddamn. <laughs> People make mistakes. We will we will get back with you. Um, let's do. Let's try to do after game three. Maybe after game four, though, probably. So, we will we'll talk to you then. <laughs>